0: Today's episode of This Is My Story contains details of sexual abuse and may not be suitable for all listeners. For more information about confidential support, please see the show notes. You're listening to This Is My Story. I'm Ruth O'Reilly-Smith. This show is all about sharing stories of how God's amazing love has changed lives forever. Today's episode is with Nona Jones, minister, author, and head of faith-based partnerships for social media giant, Facebook. Her story begins with her turbulent upbringing in an abusive home. I was born to a mother who
1: actually didn't want to have children. She was married to my father, For about uh, 15 years, when she found out that she was pregnant with me, um, she grew up in a home that was defined by violence. Her father was very, very abusive to her mother. She had 11 brothers and sisters. They lived in a two-room house. And so I think at an early age, she just decided she did not want that dysfunction. And so when she found out she was pregnant with me, she was actually angry. But my father was elated because he wanted to have a child. He had wanted to have a child since they first got married. Um, But about six months into the pregnancy, he started to have some stomach cramps. And so he went to the doctor just to see what was going on, and he ended up getting diagnosed with terminal stomach cancer. He was given six months to live, but he actually lived until about two months shy of my second birthday which um, his greatest fear was that I wouldn't remember him. But I remember him through the images because when he found out that he was dying, he literally started an Olympic sprint of memory making with me. So I have all these pictures of him. But my mother did not want to be a mom, and so shortly after he died, she moved us to Florida. And she was following after a man who she barely knew, but he promised that he would take care of her and take care of me. Um, And that relationship ended shortly thereafter. But when I was around four, she met a guy who became her live-in boyfriend. And um, it wasn't too long into that relationship that he started to show signs that made me feel unsafe. When I started kindergarten, I mean, I was in a situation where I didn't feel safe. Uh, My mother's boyfriend had started to touch me inappropriately uh, when she was not around. And between that and I think the physical abuse, it just created a, a level of dysfunction within myself that really manifested as that type of behavior that made teachers label me as a problem child. When I was around five and a half years old, uh, my mother went up north to attend her sister's funeral and she left me at home with him. And I begged her not to leave me because I didn't feel safe around him, but she said she couldn't afford another plane ticket. And so that very night, um, I locked my bedroom door because I thought that that would keep me safe, but he used a straightened wire hanger to pick the lock. and That was the first time that he violated me um, sexually at the age of about five and a half. between all the chaos that was happening before that time and then having to experience that, uh, my behavior literally deteriorated because I was experiencing so much chaos at home. And so I was acting out at school and I was angry. I was tired because I wasn't able to sleep because I was afraid he was gonna come back in the room. Um, And he did continue to violate me. So it was a very volatile situation and I was routinely violated over the course of seven years. When my mother found out about it, because I was about seven, and I finally told her what he did. She did have him arrested, and I was so grateful that he was out of the house. But then on the day of his release, she took me with her to pick him up from jail and brought him back to the house where he continued to do it again. My behavior literally just continued to deteriorate because I could not focus. Um, I would explode at school, I would implode at home. Um, I became very quiet at home because I literally felt like I had no sense of safety, like nobody cared about me. Um, And it was a very, very, very difficult time. I, I did not grow up in a Christian home, so we did not talk about Jesus, the Bible, we didn't go to church. I had no sense of stability, and so at the age of nine, I tried to take my life. It wasn't successful, so I tried again when I was 11. And it was shortly after that that I actually got invited to go to church, but I tried to take my life twice before that day
0: arrived. Despite being viewed as a difficult child, Nona did have one teacher who would show great belief in her potential.
1: Miss Johnson, she was my fourth grade teacher, and um, she noticed my behavior, and she was the only teacher that actually stopped me one day and said, Nona, you're smart. Mm. She was like, you're better than this. And even though she didn't ask me why I was behaving that way, the fact that she actually saw me it just did something to me. It made me think, well, maybe I am smart. Like, because for this period of time, I was told I had a learning disability. Um, but Ms. Johnson, she literally said, look, I see what you're doing, she was like, but you're capable of so much more. Um, and she became kind of the light in a very, very, very dark tunnel um, of my childhood. But what happened was in the fifth grade, the teacher right after that, she actually pulled me out of line. We were heading to art class one day. I remember it like it was yesterday. She pulled me out of line and she put her finger in my face and she said, you will never be successful. All you will ever be is a failure. Like she she was just upset with me because I think I was acting out or something. Um, and that broke my heart, like it broke my heart. And it was actually shortly after that, after she did that, that was the second time I tried to take my life because I I went from this seed of, you have the capacity for greatness to you will always be a failure. And so it literally broke me.
0: It was shortly after this attempt on her life that Nona would experience her first exposure to faith in the form of an invite to church from a classmate.
1: She was a good friend of mine. And so I'm thinking we're gonna go over her house and play. Like, I don't know, is this a game? Um, but yeah, she invited me to go to church. And I said to her, I was like, what's that? And she laughed because she thought I was joking. She was like, how do you not know what church is? Yeah. But I didn't. Um, and so she invites me to go. And I asked my mom. My mom said, sure, because I guess that got me out of the house. And so she said, sure. And so we pull up to this building and there's all these families getting out of their cars and they're holding hands and they're smiling at each other. And you know, my only experience of a so-called family was just anger and dysfunction and just fighting all the time. And so uh, I was amazed, just in the parking lot, I was already amazed. And then we walked up to the church and um, there was a couple ladies standing at the door and they didn't even know me. And they were like, hey, beautiful, how are you? And like, they were just so kind. I was like, what is this place? And then I walked inside and more people were greeting me. Um, and it's amazing as I reflect now, you know, leading a church myself, it's like, you just don't know what people are carrying when they walk through those doors. I mean, those people had no idea I was a survivor of two suicide attempts, that I was living in a state of sexual and physical abuse. They had no idea, but they loved me and they saw me and they affirmed me. Um, And that was my first encounter with church. And I'll never forget the very first sermon I ever heard preached. The pastor said, God is a father to the fatherless. And I remember hearing that and I was like, who is this God? Because I had cried so many nights, like wishing my father was still alive. Because I felt like if my father had been alive, then I wouldn't have experienced what I experienced. And so I would literally cry out, Daddy, why did you leave me? Daddy, I need you. And to hear that God was a father to the fatherless, it was like... He spoke to me directly, cause that's exactly what I needed to hear. And I asked my friend's mother, I said, you know, can I take one of these books home? It was the Bible, but I didn't know. I was just, I just like, this guy was preaching out of this book. So I said, can I take one of these books home? And she let me, and I think it's Psalm 68. Um, and I just read it over and over and over again, like, okay. I need to know who this God is. And then I went back to the first Psalm and I started to read through the Psalms. And I was like, okay, what are all these other books in here? And they looked like people's names. And so I was just like, okay, what is this? And it was hard for me to understand because I think it was a King James version. So it was like the these and the thou shouts and all this. And I was like, what is this? Um, but I got a new translation that was easier to read. And at that age, at the age of 11, I started to read the Bible for myself. I mean, I didn't have anybody at home to help interpret anything. So I just read it for myself, and I felt like God
0: was speaking to me out of, this, out of this book. It was incredible. Delving into scripture, Nona began to read new messages about her identity and self-worth through the eyes of God.
1: I remember reading that, you know, I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. And that was like a turning point in my mind, because up until then, I thought I was unworthy, I thought I was unlovable. Um, When I tried to take my life, it was because I literally felt like I had no purpose, like I had no, I had no worth, I had no value. And then reading that God created me and he created me fearfully, meaning with actual precision, meaning that he created me with reverence and that I was wonderfully made, like that just blew my mind. I was like, there is a God that created me. And before I was even formed in my mother's womb, he knew who I was and he called me. I was like, okay, well, there's more to this life than just going home and being angry all the time. And so I think that really became the turning point is, is beginning to understand my identity in God. It's superseded All the things that my mother had said about me, it superseded all the things her boyfriend had done to me. There was something bigger, and God had something bigger in store for me than just my past. And I think that
0: became really the the, the change in my story. Something had clearly changed within Nona, and the following year, her school teachers rallied around her to ensure she had the opportunity to really shine. My teachers
1: got together and they said, Nona, you know what, you are smart and we're gonna go ahead and we're gonna promote you to advanced classes. This was in the middle of the sixth grade, okay? So I did that, began to do really well in school, made good grades, graduated successfully. I went on to college, got this you know, great scholarship. Everything was looking great, everything was looking bright. Started out a year after I graduated in an executive role for a Fortune 100 company. I mean, I'm literally sitting at this boardroom with people who could have been my parents. And so it was incredible. I was not qualified for that job at all.
0: God just made it happen. Rapidly ascending the corporate ladder, gaining more and more influence along the way, Nona eventually found herself in a dream job, working with a statewide network of alternative schools for girls. I thought I
1: would be in that role forever. I mean, it was quite literally like my heart's calling, my mission, working with these girls who had been broken, who had gone through abuse, who had gone through neglect. Um, I was four years into the role And I thought I would be doing it another 20 um, when the culture of the executive team started to become a bit unhealthy. And um, I was praying about it one day. I was like, well, Lord, you know, what should I do in this situation? Because it was just so just strange and unexpected. And the Lord told me to resign. Um, the Lord basically said in four words, this assignment is over. That's specifically what God said. And I thought I heard it incorrectly because I was like, I love what I'm doing. I cannot imagine doing anything differently. Um, so I prayed a couple of days later and the Lord said again, this assignment is over. Like he never changed what he said. And I was just like, okay. I was like, well, Lord, if this assignment is over, then what's next? the only thing God said is resign at the end of the fiscal year, which was June 30th, 2017. So basically that gave me like two, two and a half months to prepare to leave the job that I thought I would have for another 20 years. I had written several iterations of my letter of resignation because I I kept going back and forth. I remember actually praying. I was like, Lord, if there's any other way, I don't wanna leave my job. So, uh, but God was steadfast. So I get to that day, I'm sitting across from my boss. Um, we meet at one o'clock p.m., on, and it was a Friday. I hand her my letter of resignation, I tell her why I'm leaving. And she's like, well, what are you gonna do? Like, is there anything I can do to change your mind? And I'm like, no. And she's like, well, what are you gonna do? I have to tell people. I was like, I'll tell you soon, that's all I could say. And so we finished talking around 1.40, and I get in the car, and I'm with my husband, we're together, uh, we're driving home, and at 2.05, my cell phone rings and it's a 650 area code, San Francisco, California. I don't get phone I don't get calls from San Francisco. So I'm thinking it's a telemarketer. Um but I answer the phone, this lady's like, "Oh, is this Nona Jones?" and I said, "Yes." So she she proceeds to tell me she works for Facebook. And I'm like, "Who calls from Facebook? I've never gotten a call from Facebook."
0: The woman on the phone would go on to tell Nona about a seemingly coincidental change in the company's strategy recently announced by CEO Mark Zuckerberg. The week
1: before I resigned, Mark changed the mission of the whole company to focus on community building. And she told me, she said um, that he had some research done to try to understand what are all the different types of communities that exist. And there was parenting, there was fitness, there was all these types of communities. But she said that he found out that the largest community that was the most meaningful to the people who were in them were communities of faith. And he was shocked by that because he at one point was atheist Then he became agnostic. And so he's kind of been moving along the continuum of faith. And so he was like, we've never focused on this as a company. Like we need somebody to do this. One of my friends, I had actually, I was in a leadership program with him. He was sitting at the table with him when he says this, and he goes, I think I know the perfect person to do this, but I don't think we could get her to leave her job because she loves what she's doing. And so he's talking about me, not realizing that God had told me like, two months before this, to resign. And so she called me 25 minutes after I resigned, the day God told me to resign. He specifically told me that day. Um, She calls me just out of the blue. And uh, it just is a testament to the faithfulness of God and how God will meet our faith at our level of obedience.
0: So what exactly does Nona do at Facebook? Every day is completely different,
1: I will tell you, but I work with faith leaders, um, faith institutions to help them use Facebook in a new way. Because I think most organizations typically use Facebook as like a content distribution channel. It's basically just used for marketing, but because the focus is on community building, for those of us in, in the faith, for those of us who do ministry, it really has the potential to help us do discipleship digitally. And if you think about it, discipleship is all about relationship. And so for me, it's it's really about helping these organizations shift away from using social media as a broadcast platform and really trying to get them to use social media as a ministry platform, whereas broadcast is unidirectional, right? So people listening to this or watching could say, oh, I saw that passively, but a relational distribution channel is about building connections between and among people. And that's what ministry is all about. So that's what I do is I help these organizations and these leaders just reimagine what Facebook is capable of as a social ministry channel.
0: And what is it like working for Mark Zuckerberg?
1: So, Mark is a computer programmer um, at his core. So, he is the CEO of this huge company, but you have to remember, he started it as a, a dorm project. When he was at Harvard, he started it as something in his dorm to connect people to each other. He never envisioned that it would gather a third of the the Earth's population in one place, right? So in his mind, he's always thinking about, how do I make this platform better? Um, But he is not a talker. (laughs) He is not the person that you're probably going to have give the commencement address and be like super exciting. Um, But he's a really good person, good heart. And I think he wants to do the right thing in the world.
0: One of Nona's core beliefs is that social media could hold the key to discipleship in the future, and that we as the church need to become better acquainted with how we can use these platforms to speak faith, hope, and love into people's lives. I think the thing that excites me the most is I believe that right
1: now we are in the midst of another Reformation. Um, I think that at first there was trepidation about radio, right? It was like, oh God, radio is going to usher in the 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 devil, right? And then television happened. It was like, "Oh god, television is going to usher in the devil." And then we realized, "Oh wait, these are tools that can actually expand the gospel message." And I think right now we're realizing that digital technology, especially social technology, can allow us to scale the good news of Jesus Christ faster and further than we've ever been able to even imagine instantaneously. And so I'm excited because I see so many leaders that are catching on to that. Uh, When I first started, I think people were just truly afraid. They were like, no, I don't wanna use that because people will stop coming to church. What we call church is really a building. But the life of Jesus, I think, is probably the best indicator of what church is. Jesus never put his name on a building. He never said, hey, I have this great parable that I want to share. Come see me at the temple this weekend, right? Jesus was the living, walking, talking embodiment of the good news because he was the church everywhere that he went. And I think uh, we're in the midst of a reformation now where we have all these leaders who now see that the church is not a building. It's a community of people who are united under the lordship of Jesus Christ. That's what excites me. Because that's what my job is all about, and I believe that's what God has called me to do, is to really help shift the paradigm about what church even is. If we think church is what happens at a place, on a date, at a time, then we've basically constrained our ability to minister to people to who shows up in the building. But man, there's 168 hours in a week where we have the capacity to reach people wherever they are. I think where we get into trouble, is when we start using, we use these platforms as a a megaphone to really spew knowledge at people. Um, We'll say, the Bible says this and scripture says that. And the problem is when you're in a situation like that where you don't really have relationships with people, all that does is it disintegrates into arguments. So what I always advise people is remember, people don't care how much you know until they know how much you care you have to first look for opportunities to minister to people's needs, to encourage people, and then that gives you the right and it gives you the privilege of ministering to people scripturally. But you don't want to lead with that because I think the Bible is, is our best example of this. I mean, Jesus told all the disciples, he said, they will know that you are Christians by your love for one another, but as well for the world. And the question is, how are we showing up in digital environments?
0: Nona has walked with God, allowing Him to shape her along the way. And even though she has truly forgiven her mom for the abuse she suffered as a child, she is no longer a part of her life. We don't really have a relationship, and the reason for that is
1: relationships are mutual. So just because you forgive somebody doesn't necessarily mean that they're healthy enough to be in your life. And that's something else I had to learn, um, is that you can love somebody without always having to be attached to that person. I had to forgive, and I had to realize hurt people hurt people. You know, my mom, she had been hurt; uh, her ex-boyfriend had been hurt, um, and so what they did. If I was to ask them why, they wouldn't be able to tell me. But hurt creates hurt in other people, so I had to release it because I don't want to perpetuate that in my own family. There is, there is always a pain. In our hearts, there's always something in our hearts that is something we regret. It's something that um, we really wish never happened. Whether it's something that happened to us or something we did, there's always something in our heart that we look to as a way of defining our worth. You know, we look at, oh my gosh, I wish I, you know, didn't get divorced, or I wish I didn't go to jail, or I wish I wasn't, you know, raped. You know, we look at those things and we say, I wish that didn't happen. And as a result, we see ourselves as less than because we're constantly evaluating our present with our past. You can have all the trappings of success and be trapped in your success because you're looking at your past as an indicator of whether or not you're worthy. And my hope is that through my story, through what I share about my faith journey, um, that people will see themselves. And I mean, the big secret is forgiveness you know I mean really truly understanding the power that God gives us to forgive those who hurt us because that's where the redemption power lies is when we can say you know what what happened to me was horrible what I did should not have ever happened but I don't have to be defined by those things and God has created you to turn your pain into purpose I have discovered that there's really two ways to be successful. You can be successful by either running toward your future or you can be successful by running from your past. And the way that you are looking determines it. For me, I had a lot of toxic ambition. I mean, I was successful in the sense that I had the, you know, the positions and my resume was all long and all that, but, but it wasn't filling. You know, there's a success that you can have that is both filling or a success you can have that is emptying. And I think it's in Joshua 1.8 where God says that if we observe to do all that he has commanded, we will make our own way prosperous and we will have good success. I believe there's a reason why that word good is there because you can have a success that isn't good.
0: my story with nona jones author of the book success from the inside out power to rise from the past to a fulfilling future make sure you share and subscribe and to hear more podcasts from ucb you can download the ucb player app or search ucb wherever you get your podcasts ucb.co.uk